previously on AFTN. Anyway, that is it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Take care. More on the jam. And you can find me at, at Whitecaps oh. Beat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, me at AFTN Canada. Uh, for me, it's at Zachary AM. Yeah, it's very hot in here. Oh, man. I have to take my clothes off. No, no, please don't. I insist. Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on 101.9 FM CITR Radio from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful and wet British Columbia. I am Michael McCall. I'm Sue Pender. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And if you're listening to this show on the podcast, it is episode 368. Ah, how's your week been, lads? It's been same old, same old. Nothing really changed. Lots of parenting. Four-day weekend for the kids, for the offspring. I had a, an interesting experience yesterday. Hmm. I had a dream. Oh, I know how this goes. Mm, you don't. <laughs> it does not involve my head getting licked. I dread... Yesterday was the Scottish Cup games. And I had a dream that I had woke up and checked Twitter as I do every Saturday morning to get the East Vice score, and I could not believe that they had drawn three all with some non-league Scottish team called BSC Glasgow. And I was like, ah, I'm really upset. So then I woke up, realised it had been a dream, checked Twitter, and found out that they had got beat 4-3 by that Glasgow team, having given up a 3-1 lead and a goal in stoppage time to lose it. Only the second time in our 116-year history that we lost to a non-league team. I blame my dream. But it's good to have dreams. I have dreams that the Whitecaps next year are going to be world beaters. That that face you made, not good for the radio, but... Well, in, in a lot of ways, your face is ideal for the radio. But the face that you just made there... You you don't you don't feel no I, I there was like a like are you sure kind of or I'm not so sure well I mean time will tell well world, I heard world beaters that's a pretty big rumors are Mario Balotelli wants to come to MLS what would be a better fitting club than the Whitecaps a team that always gets screwed over by the referees a player that if he came to MLS oh, me. would be wonderful in MLS with the MLS referees how complicated are our bibs though. 
Away comes the babes. Oh. <laughs> mm, yeah, that could be tricky. But, yeah, players like him, I'm sure, will be on the radar. Because so far, there hasn't been any new additions to, to the squad. We seem to be going just now for the strengthening through subtraction approach. Because two more players are confirmed to have moved on. And another one is possibly on his way out as well. Your friend and a player I've watched, Daniel Henry, has officially moved on. It came out late on Wednesday, just to sort of tie in with the time zone over of his new club. But the centre-back has headed to Korea to join K-League one side, Suwon Samsung Blue Wings. They're just finishing off their season just now. They're... The season splits, it's a bit like Scotland, it splits into a promotion and a a relegation or championship and relegation thing. So the Blue Wings are in the relegation thing, but they're safe from from being relegated. I checked their website yesterday to kind of see what was on it, mainly to see if there was an interview I I could have taken audio from, but there wasn't. But he's going to join them in January, which is when they're starting their pre-season. There was no exact details of the the dollar amount received by the Caps, but they do receive a a wad of GAM, which MDS said will allow them to to have some additional roster flexibility. Yeah, I think if if it's over a certain amount, the the maximum GAM they could get out of any transfer is like seven fifty. I think it is. Yeah, unless that's changed in recent years. But yeah, and I think so. I think it needs to be at least a million and a half a transfer in order to get that maximum. I can't see us getting anything like that for him. You'd be surprised. Yeah, I I would be. I'd be very surprised. (laughs) But I mean, you you know Daniel very well. You've known him for a number of years, Zach. What's what's your thoughts on the move for him? A little surprised at the location, as I think many people are. Mm. Uh, like, I don't think anyone's like, oh, I think he's going to go play in South Korea. <laughs> um, but the the fact that he's leaving, no, not not surprised at all. A, a good Korea opportunity for him? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I think for me, when I, th- when I think about him and what's happened in his career, what he's done, I wonder if this is similar to... Uh, what he did when he left MLS the first time in terms of... Oh, end up in Cyprus. Well, go somewhere for a short yes, period of time. Which he doesn't like to talk about. And then go, <laughs> and then go somewhere else uh, after that. Uh, the, the Korean club site w- was very big in playing up his West Ham connections. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. How many games did he play for your Hammers? N- none in the actual league, but right. he did play some cup, cup games. games. Yeah. But he, uh, on, yeah, no, Don, I, uh, Danielle, I have strong appreciation for him and uh, appreciated his time here. Uh, yeah, I thought it w- I thought it could have been longer, but they, you know, the MDS I think has plans to of kind of direction he wants to go, and doesn't seem uh, Danielle a part of that. The, from a supporter fan side of things, the, I don't know if you've seen on social media, but the South Sisters are having a, a farewell for him. So I guess he's either in town or going to be in town. Oh, interesting. So next, uh, if you want to head along, it's okay if I yeah, plug it. So uh, next Saturday, or this, sorry, this coming Saturday, November 30th, from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Colony Pub on Granville, uh, you can have an opportunity to come and uh, give your best to, to Danielle before he departs. I might bring a... a a little wall from a punch just as a, a souvenir reminder mm. that'd be interesting and uh, the team that he's going to it's a top team I think in oh, the yeah. league right yep they're they're in the well it's a top team in that they're in the, the top tier but they are in the relegation they finished in the bottom half of the season this okay. this, this year but he, he's apparently excited to be playing in the K-League 
He was also asked about the K-Cup, but he said he's more of an espresso man. And then he was also asked about K-Pop, but he says not Coca-Cola is, is his drink. But from one coffee-loving Canadian centre-back, moving on, to the other Canadian centre-back that we have at the Whitecaps, Derek Cornelius. He's left now to marshal the Whitecaps' backline, him and Jassa Kimiri. I wonder what his choice of hot beverage would be. You're sitting at home, you decide to have a hot beverage. Would you go for a tea or a coffee, hot chocolate or something else? Tea or hot chocolate. And are you a biscuit fan, a cookie fan? Cookie. And what's your favourite kind of cookie? Chocolate chip. Oh, nice. That's it, that's great, thanks so much. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Derek Cornelius there. Daniel Henry's departure has left the, the Whitecaps just with two centre-backs on the books currently. Derek Cornelius and Jasek Kamiri. You'll need two, right? Yeah. Well, unless you, they want to play back oh, three. Unless you want to go three five two, yeah. I mean, hopefully Henry's departure and the gam that it's going to bring will, will signal the signing of Eric Godoy because we haven't heard any more about that. Which wasn't there uh, probably rumours, not reports, that his... Bio clause was around that figure you mentioned, Steve, of one point yeah, five million, something like that. Hmm. I, I don't. I I just seem to remember that number being thrown around. I don't remember seeing that. But um, I mean, if you look back at Daniel's time with the team, he, I mean, he he did get a few goals this year, and he did change my opinion a bit on him because I wasn't a big fan of his from from previous experience and seeing him play with Canada and Toronto, he always struck me as being a little bit kind of error prone and he just, he still has that in his game. But I don't think you can question his commitment or the fact that he cares oh, not at all. a lot and he wants to be at a stable club and a winning club and he obviously feels that maybe Vancouver right now just doesn't suit that for him. And no. I, th- I also think that um, it's important to see that, that where he came from when he joined the Whitecaps, he came from like a devastating knee injury that took him out like 18 months or something like that. He came back basically on a free. So a profit for the Whitecaps on that one. Good mm-hmm. deal. Um, and so I, I think I think right now from where he was when he started with the Whitecaps, I think it's exponentially better. Yeah, he has – I don't think he has an error a game, but he has an error every maybe two games or three games. And most center backs, honestly, in the MLS have that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just it's not a conducive to a defensive oriented like lineup or whatever. Yeah. Well, every, yeah. uh, most people spend uh, the the balance between what's spent on the uh, attackers and the defenders is is not balanced, obviously. So it doesn't look at least from from what you can guess from from them making the signing go through that the injury he got in the Canada games yeah. too serious to derail it because that was a little bit of a concern. But wish him well. I mean, who knows? He might come back to MLS one day. Could end up back at the Whitecaps one day. We won't have his rights anymore if we sold him for a transfer. But mm-hmm. he'll have you, to go through allocation. Yeah, you yeah. never say never in this league. Whitecaps all do need to add some more centre backs. Mark DeSantis has talked about he's targeting a specific position in this year's Super Draft. They've got the fourth pick. And you have to feel it's a defender. It's going to probably be a left-back or a centre-back, depending on, on what players are available. 
could be a guy that could could be a right back. Well, it could be a guy that could play multiple positions, I guess, as well. But you feel it's going to be a, a defender. But they certainly need some additions at both of those positions. In fact, I guess all three as well, if you look at right back. I don't think the other announcement this week of the player moving on is going to really have surprised anyone. <laughs> I don't think which there's was a f- one of the left back strokes. I don't think it was a farewell party. It was more of a surprise that it took so long. Yeah. yeah. I guess they it. were maybe keeping their options open to see if there's anyone. Or- there, it is, lined up. there is a possibility as well that he might they might have had to keep him in order to make him eligible. Oh no, he, they weren't even in the expansion draft. Mm. What am I talking about? I thought maybe they no, had to no. give numbers, but, but there wasn't even that. Of PC we'll throw Gyro, that out the window. Victor PC Gyro. Yeah. He will not be coming back, and it was a surprising signing when we made it. I and again another guy you can't fault his commitment. Always had a smile on his face at training as well, but. I don't feel was the quality that we needed in the team, and I'm not sure he's really MLS quality for another team to pick up. Yeah, and clearly Whitecaps chose you're, Mac over PC. You're fully committed and always have a smile at training. <laughs> I'm usually quite miserable. I keep getting told with my resting bitch face in the scrums. My wife watches them and goes, why can't you just smile? Because you look creepy if you smile too. You just got to be, no, no, not you, not you in particular. People who are in the background of scrums and they're smiling and everything, they look creepy as well. So I think it's best just you do my but thing where I'm right behind the camera and I yeah. pull my hand up. Straight face, sort of straight faced is better than. Yeah. I switch curmudge- off curmudgeonly. I, I have to say, I'm just standing there thinking, ah, what about pizza will have? Yeah. Except it's Johnny Russell. Oh, I'm fully mean, committed to that. Yeah. Then your big smile. Yes. <laughs> I think he got a bit creeped out by me, actually, the last time I spoke to him. Only the last time? Mm. Well, the first time I was on the phone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the exclusion zone hadn't come in. Now, another player that could be moving on, depending what report you read, 17-year-old midfielder, homegrown signing, Simon Coline. He is heading over to the Netherlands for a 10-day training stint with PSV Eindhoven's youth teams. He does have both Canadian and Dutch citizenship. Now, the initial story of this broke on the MLS website, which is always a little bit weird, I think, when MLS are kind of breaking these kind of signings. And Tom Bogart that wrote that said that the deal was if the the training stint went well, then both clubs would be looking to maybe make a permanent transfer. But the Whitecaps story is just it's a 10-day training stint. So read into that what you will. But obviously, if he does go over and impress, then there is a chance that Eindhoven's going to want to take him over. And if it does work out, it's obviously going to lead to the question, oh, so he's good enough to go and sign for PSV. Why did he not get a sniff off the first team last year? Well, I don't think he's playing for PSV. He'll probably play for their U oh, the teams U- or the yeah. reserve teams. U18, right? Yeah. Yeah. But he's obviously, he's, he'll be thought of to have the potential. Yeah, and he does well, have Because PSV potential. wouldn't bring over... Uh, a Canadian-born player, if they if they don't see yeah. a long-term, but he could be Dutch. He could come through. He could get Dutch citizenship, play for Holland. Yeah, but again, wh- I've I, seen that story. I, before. I, I don't, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't see PSV bringing over someone unless they see potential for yeah. him playing for the first team and or future sell-on for for them as a club to make he, money. He on. definitely has a lot of potential. It's whether it can get unlocked, and this is another. Another failing of the Whitecaps of not having this USL team or a proper yeah. oh, bridge. For sure. But if they sell them, is it really a failing? Or is it just that they got a good deal? Well, well no, if they sell them, they I sold guess, that keeper to Leicester City. 
Right. Yeah, so that's, is that a failing then too? No, that's not a failing. No, that was probably better. But with Simon Coline, uh, the thing is, I think they're not going to get as much as they could for him if he had been playing in yes, a competitive yeah. environment. Yeah. I, I guess it, it depends what you class as what is a successful academy player. Is it someone you develop through your academy and then sell on, like Odunsey, to, to Leicester City, to, to a bigger team? Or is it a guy that you develop through the academy that then makes the first team squad, but then makes the breakthrough, which is just what we've struggled with for, for years. We just can't get the players to make that breakthrough to become first team regulars. Now, is also Simon Collin part of the future with the Whitecaps, whereas he fits their model now, the model that they want, or is he a model that fits more PSV's kind of style? So that'd be interesting too, because I don't think PSV plays more pressing. They play more technical. If I'm I don't know. Did you see how he took on those 100 kids with Eric Hurtado that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, no, in all, all seriousness, part of the problem of this, Michael, is, uh, and again, this is just going to sound me being negative about the Whitecaps, but no. I think this is a fair, I think this is a fair perspective. The whole time they've talked about, uh, yeah, we want to develop players for our first team, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, because of the um, dynamic of the financial dynamics involved, their primary thing has not been bringing through players. Their primary primary thing is not losing money, or you know, making money, or losing as little money as possible, or whatever. So, well, so they do, do a the, big, big investment into the residence. No, no, I know so they have to sell. No, no, yes. some guys that to, in, to that investment that. is there, but at, cl- at clubs who. Like our whole, like all in on actually developing players. They play those players in their first team, yes. knowing that that that's going to hinder their success. They don't play bad players, no. But they play players who are on the cusp or there or thereabouts. They give them more time so that they develop. And you see, like they always. Well, it's like Bayern's got that that young nineteen year old Canadian guy that they're trying out <laughs> at left back, and he seems to have worked out. Yeah. Now the thing is but, also, you, but you see this about Simon Colin. Like the, it's not like they haven't been willing to put young players in, they played Theo Bear this year and yes. they eventually got him in. Now, again, maybe Simon Colin doesn't fit their scheme or their, their what they want to do. So you can't really say, oh, they're not playing young players. They're just, maybe they're not good enough at this point. And that, that's fair. But one, like the number of players that have got first team minutes in, in the MLS era, let's just keep it to that, is 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 not uh, is not a sign of a club that believes in bringing in bringing through no. players. But, there, but there are part big... of it, though, as well, is you've got the pressure on the management to get wins. Oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so you, you can, the you manager cannot... has to play guys that's going to get him the victory. Exactly. So that's why the the hey we're this we believe in this in developing players is is a bit. It has to be at least taken just as as lip service as this just sounds good and looks mm. good. I, I say they, I say you have to put a little bit on the players that they have to show development in order to be on the team as well. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. Of, yeah, co- of course. Of course. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking that away from the players. But yeah. you look like, for example, because I only use this because in the past Bobby Leonard Uzi liked to use this. When you talk about a club like Ajax, they they believe in playing young players. Well, they believe in developing their own players. And so much so that they do go through. Like if you look at Ajax over the last thirty years, oh yeah, they've had they they go and yes, where where they have good classes or where they have a, a large enough group of young players that that are good enough where they're good, and then they sell those on, and then they there are a number of years where they're a little bit lower. Then they come, you know, three, four, five years they come back, but in those times they don't divert from that. We are going to play our young players. Yeah, I, but, but I do agree that if they had better veteran players. 
uh, that would help. That would help totally. because they'd be able to play with those good yeah. players and be supported by them. And that, that's an, I mean, that's obviously that's the missing factor. That, that's a huge missing Also, if we had this bridge of a team to get the guys' totally. experience, but it is something that the Whitecaps' new sporting director Axel Schuster has talked a lot and about and should totally help with. And he's yeah, he should help with it. He's done it with Mines. He's talked about this needs to be a club that has this pathway. We talked a bit about it last week. And Axel Schuster has been doing some media rounds this week. He was on TSN Radio. He's on Global TV. The Fight Cats put out uh, an all-access video on their website. And he's been he's been very open and kind of refreshingly so, actually, about the state of the club, about what he's come into, how far he feels it is behind in things like scouting and other aspects like that compared to other top clubs. All things that we've talked about for years, suspected for years, but to have someone come in and have the honesty to come out and say that, I think it's great and I find it really refreshing. Yeah, but this is not something new that other people no. haven't been saying, you know, uh, not publicly for years. And we talked a little bit about this in last week's show and I uh, was speaking to the, the the club a little bit just to clarify some details as well. As to exactly who is going to be making the decisions, who's reporting to who, stuff like that. So basically, all the player acquisitions now will be made by Mark DeSantos and Axel Schuster. There has to be two yeses or nothing's going to happen. Axel Schuster is only reporting to the owners. Nobody else. The, The football committee that was first brought up after Martin Rennie's signing... It, uh, f- uh, not non-renewal. No, yes, sorry, sacking is what I meant to say. Not signing. It's it's basically no more in that form, and it hasn't actually existed in that form for a number of years now. Now you can say maybe the club should have communicated that a little bit better, and I got that across to fans to to say it kind of being the butt of jokes all the time, but that's actually good to see, and it did serve a purpose, and in a, in ways financially and decisions like that it's no different to a board of directors at a football club say in the UK but now we've got Axel Schuster and Mark DeSantis that's making all the player decisions and they're the ones that still has to get rubber stamped I guess if it's a big big signing but it's the owners only that are dealing with them now and I think that's a good step forward and we should see a lot more cohesion it's weird that if, you know what you said is true that the the football committee doesn't function the way the way it used to or whatever. It's weird that they wouldn't say that that they would allow that to be take so much hit publicly without saying that because like you said they are the ones who control that. And so if they didn't like that or they feel it's unfair or invalid or not true, to not say that is 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 kind of just really weird and like doesn't make sense. And again shows. A, a, one of the areas where they have not communicated well, which is unfortunate. Well, it's also it, hard it, not to feel that some of those, the, those, I mean, those members, although they might not be formally in those things, they're lurking there in the shadows. Yeah. The thing is, the thing is, is the, uh, the committee consisted of the owners, um, Rachel Cook and um, Bobby Leonard Doozy. Rachel and, who? What did it say? <laughs> Rachel Lewis. Rachel Lewis, Bobby Leonard Doozy, and Jeff Anderson. And... Um, <laughs> And and obviously Jeff is oh, sorry Greg is now uh, below Axel Schuster kind of assisting him. Uh, Bobby looks like he's essentially out. He's, he's more of a uh, what, what do you call him? ambassador or something? I guess I don't know Neither. what they were. Yeah, um, he's lurking, lurking in the shadows. Rachel is the only one that's uh, like really there. That's uh, that's really not an owner at this yeah. point. And so she's, she's 
do, do the business, business side. Just yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I and and that, they're supposedly bringing in a C. Well, that was, that was Mark That's Weaver's Mark Weaver. Tweet, yeah. oh. And there's not really been anything in the, in the week since then. You don't trust Mark he, Weaver? He's retired, though. So oh, it's he's, he's on Salt Spring. Yeah. Living large, he's parenting. Whatever retired people do in Salt Spring. Yeah, he's a father. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. But he's also a Tottenham fan, so... Oh. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. No, he's very. Spe- he's got the special one. Mm. Oh, true. I thought we had that. But... <laughs> we do. We got Steve. So the video that the White Cats put up on the website it showed Mar DeSantis, Philip DeSantis, and Axel talking about some players and kind of evaluating some video. And the video that they were watching, they said that one of the guys was pacey and explosive. Yeah. And for his height, he is very fast and excellent technically. Now, what I wanted to do, I wanted—I was hoping somebody with some ability would enhance that video and take the glare off uh, Oxford's <laughs> glasses. glasses and oh. see exactly who was watching because they were watching video yeah. at this point. Oh, and let's so, go back and do that. You can hear a little bit of that, the that could be your the fullback well. you were talking about. Yeah. Ah. Pacey and explosive. It, it right? may have been a different guy or it may have been the same guy, but Axel was talking about the importance of having some personal connection with yeah. the player as well. Yeah. So that could open up possibly one of your, your mob, Zach, the Germans. Oh, or someone that's played in Germany. Possibly this like 19-year-old young Canadian fullback that <laughs> that seems to be doing quite well. But we're, we're going to have a chance to, to sit down with Axel Schuster and ask him some questions as well. What would you like to ask him? What would you like to know? Shoot us an email, aftncanada.hotmail.com or on Twitter, at aftncanada. Use the hashtag AskAxel. Nice. But anyway, we will be back with some MLS chat after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. The police. Doot, doot. That's the sound of the police. Walking on the Moon. Released November 1979. Made the UK charts for the first time this week in 1979. Only a few more weeks. And then we'll be into 1980 songs. <laughs> oh, is that what we're doing? Always what? 40 years back? Yeah, let's just do that from now on. Let's not. Oh, okay. Good time for music, though. I feel. The police there were talking about giant steps or... What you need to take? Lots of teams take giant steps. Looking at the other kind of football, I've brought my San Francisco 49ers hat with me tonight because they've taken giant steps this season. And tonight, they beat Steve's team. In fact, they thrashed Steve's team. That's good, man. That's uh, I won money. Jade Merritt's oh. team. Oh, you bet against your team? Yeah. Because <laughs> if anyone nice. doesn't know, Steve is a cheesehead. Kazakop. Well, so, Axel Schuster calls so, him Kazakop. So his wife says anyway, but I part, think so a dose of antibiotics can part, get that cleared up. Anyway. Part owner. 
Oh, yeah, are you? Oh, yeah. He's You're one of the members? Of sure. He, he's a Packer. As I said, the Whitecaps have taken giant steps. Another team that was hoping to take giant steps is the Whitecaps under Axel Schuster and under Mark DeSantos. And who knows? They could be busy in the next week or so. I've been saying this for the last two weeks and they haven't been, but I am trying to build up some anticipation and excitement in the hope that we have something to talk about player acquisition-wise next week. But this is a busy week in theory for all of MLS in the internal player acquisition mechanism nonsense that the league has. The lists have come out for free agency, the re-entry draft, the waiver draft. The list came out of the, the players eligible for Monday's waiver process. And for me, there there's not really too much of interest there. It's going to take place... You could get a Pogba. Yeah, but not the good Pogba. Oh, right. Wait, there's a good Pogba? I guess. So that more. was another dig at Steve, Steve. But noon on Monday is the what is now getting called the end-of-year waivers process. It used to be the waiver draft, but they've given it a, a fancy title. It's no longer a draft, it's a process. I don't think the Caps are probably going to be tempted by the players in there, but you never know. We have the second pick. If we do select anyone, we just have to make them a genuine offer. So you don't have to pick them up for their salary and stuff like that. If there was one player on that list that I am tempted by, but we'd need to get his salary a lot lower, I think, is Chicago have released Serbian midfielder Alexander Katai. He got six goals and seven assists in 2019, 12 goals and five assists in 2018. So he's had a couple of years' experience in MLS. He's got the goals. He knows how to perform in a team as well that, that was really underperforming the last two years. His salary is $1.3 million. He wasn't a DP in 2018, but he became a DP in 2019. If we could get him for kind of like Freddie Montero style money or less, I think that would be a pretty pretty good pickup. Yeah, it could, but you got to think that's partly due to the the coach leaving, right, and the connection with the with the yes. coach. Um, and he might want to go back to Europe for for all we know. Yeah. I mean, was there anyone else in the waiver I mean, list that, that can I grabbed your attention? What you're saying in a, in a vacuum, Michael, makes sense. But I, I not we don't know what the other factors are, right? Like who else they're looking for and stuff. So like, yeah, just out of that list, yeah, he sounds like a fine player. I mean, there's other players on the list that are I, you could see as being role players. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of guys that are definitely depth or. Yeah could be pushing for a first-team spot. Now, once the waiver stuff is all done and dusted on Monday, the free agency opens up. And there's some well-known names in that. Some have had options declined, some are out of contract, so we could still see them getting picked up by by their existing clubs. There's a a, a young left-back, a young whippersnapper, Jordan Harvey, that, that is available. Yeah, I don't see them taking. No. I, I see them. I see him retiring before he comes back to Vancouver. Yes, it's not, and it's not a personal thing. I think it's, it's just it's difficult for for his wife to be in her. Line I genuinely of business. think he'll resign with LAFC yeah. anyway because it's like with the free agency, it lets them negotiate with whoever they want. So I mean that that's one of the big things. A guy though that could be of interest is Atlanta's Justin Merrim. He's bounced about a little bit. 
the last couple of seasons of Whitecaps were linked with him at one stage. Has the good Justin Merrim gone now, or would he still hold some value for a club like the Whitecaps? No, I think they can. He can be like a project or something like that. They, they obviously don't. Have, I don't think they would have to pay him that much. He's on a big salary, but he's a free agent, so he yeah. wouldn't be getting that much anymore. Well, he's going to want to negotiate the best he can. Was he also rumored to come here like a year or two yeah. ago or three or whatever? Like that's what I just said. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he he yeah he could be okay. I think was it last year was not a good year for him, right? Where he bounced around and so. Yeah. Uh, Coming off of that, maybe he has a next year's a year where he knows he needs to more prove himself again. So wherever he ends up, they might whatever club he ends up might get more out of him. Yeah, he could be again in a, in just looking at the list. Yeah, he could be someone who could be good in Vancouver. But again, I don't I don't know if I don't know if he's really a Mark DeSantos kind of no, player. No, see that's that's the thing. That's and my first thought. Same with the next guy that I'm going to mention because I want us to bring in an experienced centre back, an Andy O'Brien style guy that's got experience that can come in and play some games and marshal the back line. And there's two guys, one in the, the free agency draft, one in the re-entry draft, that kind of fit the bill. And this one I know is a bit pie in the sky. I just like him because he's aggressive as hell. Aurelian I knew you were going to say that. The dude's too old. I know. He's past it. He's slow. Well, he's 33. Is that really Is he old? that? He's, okay, he seems older. Maybe it's the baldness. But he seems, I don't know, I say that from one balding man to another. <laughs> but he... He 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 seems too old and slow. Yeah, I think he probably is. He's only on 175, which I was surprised at. So that's not prohibitive. No. Um, a couple of guys I like is, uh, and these are just depth players, not starters, uh, Connor Laid from uh, Red Bulls. I had they, a look have, at him as a possibility. A yeah. PC-wide player. And yeah. then uh, if, they're, if, they're, if they're not going to be looking to get in too many, you know, midfielders that are, you know, higher end or whatever, maybe like a Sam Cronin. Uh, from Minnesota, uh, I think he would be good. Or like if they go, if they go want to go Benny Feldharber or uh, yeah. Kellen Rowe, like just it, because they're not. Feldharber like, was a guy that I thought, but he's bounced about as well. Yeah, but people, and his salary maybe again, just, depending maybe on what he's wanted by for. some many players. Yeah, his, <laughs> his, his also, salary could be prohibitive because it's like it's fair enough. We're saying all oh, their free agencies and stuff like that, but they're going to have a salary wasn't that they the, want to get. Wasn't one of them that announced that they're leaving their team by Twitter, and then uh, people were started searching the but, airlines or something who was flying out of LA or something? And it was was one of them. Was, they ended up in Colorado. I can't remember. It, it escapes my mind which one it was. It was one of them. Was too. that last year? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, last year. Yeah. Right. Tuesday is the first round of the re-entry draft, which is usually pretty quiet Never because agree. you have to take people on their current salaries. Well, then, no, and, it's a current deal, the next yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, round two is where there might be some action, which is, is a weak time. And again, there's not a lot to excite you on that list. But talking about depth, that centre-back and experienced guys, a guy that MDS is going to know well, currently at LAFC. He's 34 years old, though. Canadian international Dejan uh, Jakovic only made three appearances uh, <laughs> for LAFC. He's on 150. I uh, I appreciate Dejan and especially his contributions to Canada. I don't know who wins in a foot race between him and Aurelian Klein. Yeah, that's the other thing as well. I know that they're slow. Uh, so yeah, he's not. He's older but, and he's not as fleet of foot as he once was. He's. I think he still reads the game fine. Sometimes you whatever, want your centre backs to actually stay back and defend. Let the other guys go up. Yeah, so maybe if they are playing three at the back, maybe he can be a veteran 
presence or veteran depth I'm kind of thinking as well for locker room and like just getting the defense organized. I would like to see a guy in his 30s. Yeah. As one of the five center backs. Just a guy that's got that, experience. Yeah, that makes sense. I, he, but I've never heard MDS talk about Dean from their time together in LA. Hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. No, but Mark, Mark also, like when we sat down a couple of weeks ago, he did say it depends what you class as experience. Yeah. Because like Daniel Henry was always quick to tell you, I'm experienced, yes. I've been playing since I was 18. We, so it's kind of what what you look for, we, for experience. We should get a shirt of him with that, with J, JJ standing on the side. <laughs> him saying, I played a TFC, man. <laughs> well, if we're looking still in the defence, another guy that interests me in the re-entry draft and I'd maybe even pick him up on his current salary in round one. Eric Miller, backup right back. He's on just under 125000 this year. Only made five appearances with NYCFC. He has six seasons of experience in the league, though, including a stint in Montreal. Yeah, that's where he started. Can play left back as well. He's possibly, though, not attacking enough. He's never scored an MLS goal. And we know that Mark's going to want his fullbacks to go forward. But, I mean, he could be a nice cover for Nerwinski, for Adnan. And remember, you don't know what their next year contract is. You're saying 125 this year. Maybe it's like 150, 175 next yeah, year. You never that's know. that's true. Um, one guy I, I'm thinking maybe you look at is Anthony Jackson Hamel, considering they put a flyer on him yeah. last year. That was that, When I saw that name up, I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting now if they do make a kind of move for that. But it's it's a very... It's not a really very interesting list of well, players. Well, they, they got an MLS Cup uh, MVP. Final yeah. MVP oh, in there. Diego Victor Victor Rodriguez. Rodriguez yeah. Yeah. Oh, they Valeri from years yeah, ago. Yeah, that oh. was a bit of a surprise. Ro- Rodriguez is in go. there this year, yeah. And they got a, as you call it, a classified pedo. In the, oh, in yeah. The Seattle I, I thought no, Hashtag no pedos. Yeah. No. Performance. Enhancing drug, drug offender. offender. Yeah, that's what just it stands to, for. Just to clarify yeah. that. The expansion draft took place this past week, and again, it wasn't the most exciting either, but that was to be expected. Internationalville, they got some players, there were trades made, there was a, a couple of interesting guys taken that I thought, oh, it'd be maybe interesting if they catch me to play for that. But Inter are slowly building their team. Of course, one player that has gone from the Whitecaps to Inter is David Norman Jr. And I got a chance to, to chat with David just before the last game of the CPL season, just about the move and his time at the Whitecaps and how he felt about leaving and the challenge ahead. First time speaking to you since you left the Whitecaps. It was a surprise because we know how much you love the Whitecaps. From a personal point of view, it's probably the best thing for you because you're going to get to play. And I don't think you're going to get the chance at the Whitecaps. Is that what was really behind your decision to to move on? Yeah, um, I think that's the feeling I had, uh, is that I wasn't going to get a chance there. And uh, I know I was there for a long time and uh, in and around the first team for two to three years and I never got a a proper chance. So that was disappointing for sure. Um, I felt like I deserved it. I felt like I was ready to take a chance, um, but it wasn't going to come. And, you know, that's sport, that's football at times. So I had a good opportunity to move on, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Now, the opportunity that you've got now, that is such an opportunity for you. To to go to a brand-new team, for one thing, a team that's owned by Beckham, a team that's going to be spending money, that's going to be bringing in star players, you must just be so excited. Yeah, yeah, I think excited is the word. Um, Just going to be 
a great time for myself, uh, a fresh chance, but also it's just a fresh start for the club. Um, it'll be very cool to be part of, of building something, building a franchise, you know, being there from day one, um, and hopefully making my mark and, uh, and helping my part in making the franchise as successful as possible. How did it come about? Because it, it seems a little bit just obscure to suddenly go from the Whitecaps to, to Miami. Yeah, um, I've, we, I heard there, there was a, an option of going there and um, when things weren't kind of looking out with the Whitecaps, I was maybe looking forward to you know what was in the future for me. And uh, when the chance came up and started talking with Miami about the possibility of going over there, it was, you know, I said, yeah, I want to jump on that right away. And um, that's something I'd very much be excited for. When you're in your hometown team and it's a Canadian club and you're a Canadian guy and you're not getting appreciated the way that you should be or your talent's not and then a brand new team in a different country says oh yeah we'll have him he's going to be great in this league what, how do you feel about that? Yeah, um, it's disappointing in one sense um, as you mentioned as you know being a Canadian playing with Vancouver since from such a young age and not getting uh, not getting an opportunity there um, and, but in another way, it's it's a great challenge and opportunity for me now to move on, and um, you know, and I have something to prove. I've you know, I believe I uh, have the abilities to play at that level, and uh, I'm ready to show it in the coming years. Have you ever been to Miami before? Do you know much about the no, city? No, I've, I've never been. I've never been once, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Do you like the heat? I love the heat. Oh, yeah. no, you're, you'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, it'll be like nice. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be hot playing there for sure, but no, it'll be uh, it'll be nice. So, if what happens there? You're finishing up with Pacific. Well, I guess first of all, how, how have you found this experience? It must be good just playing regularly again. For sure. But it's been a challenging season here just in general. But how have you found the league and the quality and the standard of it? Oh, it's been good. Yeah, uh, I've been following like the league from day one since it started, um, watching lots of games with a with a particular eye here on the island, not Pacific. Obviously, I've played with a lot of the players and uh, it's close to home. Um, and in the games I've played, I've, it's it's been good. Like you said, it's been a bit. It's been a bit up and down for the club um, but you know it's the first year and I think they have high ambitions and uh, it'll be a good exciting for them to move forward and see what they can do. So what happens with you now you've obviously got the off season when do you, you end up joining up with Miami? Um, just actually in the middle right now of kind of sorting out what my off season will look like um, you know so I'll be training somewhere with the club and um, and then heading down to Miami for in a few months for the new year. When, when you look just at the league in general in MLS just now, Miami's going to want to make a splash. They're going to want to make the kind of splash that Atlanta and LAFC have. And they're going to be bringing in big-name players. Does that in some way maybe even make it tougher for you then to try and break into the team, especially being Canadian as well? Or is that just motivating you more to go and show that you can compete with these guys? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I'll use it as motivation. Um, they're going to sign some, some big-name players for sure. And they're also going to have other players that you know, you know that they're going to be on the roster and, um, and and playing every week. So I'm just looking down. I'm looking forward to a clean slate going down there um, and and showing what I can do from day one in preseason. And you, you probably won't go on loan just for the next couple of months just to keep playing and keep fit, or no, no. Okay. Um, last thing then, just looking back at your time with the White Caps, I know you maybe didn't get the first team opportunities you wanted but what, what do you take from your time spent with the organisation you were there from what 11 years old or maybe even younger nine yeah, nine, yeah. yeah. Um, I take a lot you know I spent more than half my life there almost going every day to train and uh, so 
you know, there's so many people, so many coaches, too many to name that, uh, you know, to thank. But, um, you know, f to be a part of that every day and, uh, and see how the club has kind of grown over that time as well. You know, being there in 2007 when they were when they got the MLS franchise and, um, you know, kind of being there and see it grow was, was cool. But now it's, it's it'll be a good opportunity to move on. Thanks so much. Good yeah. luck in Miami. Looking forward to seeing you. Hopefully Miami's going to be here and we'll get to see it. Yeah, BC, exactly. Thanks so much, Thanks, David. Mike, Cheers, man. Thanks, Kira. Sound like a big hug there at the end. Yeah, kind of did a little kind of bump. Nice. Always had a lot of time for David. We followed his career for for years. It's just we've watched him grow up through the team, and uh, yeah, it's, it's sad to see him move on. And it seems a strange landing spot, really, for him. But I mean, we talked about Simon Coline in part one. Maybe PSV Eindhoven see something in him. Into Miami clearly see something in, in David Norman as well to, to take him that way. But it's a fantastic opportunity for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel bad I didn't get to go see him at Pacific in person. But um, <clears throat> no, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, big place. It's going to be tough for him. Oh, it's well. not, oh, of course. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, every. I mean, I think a lot of us think in like an ideal world, he's going to be like the Mark Anthony K of, of Inter Miami FC. You know what I mean? Like, How young, old is he right now? He's younger than Mark was. But. I know, but he's like 21 or something now? Yeah, in that 20, range? 21. Uh, yeah, about that. You've yeah. known him since he was, what, three, four? Yeah. Or? <laughs> I, I, I just think it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for him and wish him all the best. He's, Looking forward to the progress. I hope Miami come here for the game. Oh, so yeah. Can I see him play here as well? It would be great. How much first team minutes he gets... That's what's going to be tough, but good luck to him anyway. We're going to be back after the break with a new section that we're doing to round off the year. We're going to be looking at some white caps of the decade. Hi, I'm Carl Robinson. Uh, you're listening to the AFTN podcast. Look the death star, two down fader. We're going to attack like a space invader. From Joe Calzaghe to Glenn Getty, come straight in Wales. It's a GLC. We're from a world with barra brim. We ain't got the weather, but we got the split. We don't go to send the packs, cause we got blue stone. We'll take you to our leader, he's called Tom Jones. It takes a nation of thousands to hold us back. You better fear the Welsh planet, cause you're under attack. It takes a nation of thousands to hold us back. You better fear the Welsh planet, cause you're under attack. Lord wins and Davis, and never the twain. Coming straight into Wales, it's a golden nugget chain. Worried that you might end up with cheese on your chips. But carry half chips, half rice and pack a lid. You better realize the Welsh boys matter. It's a home invasion like Constantine Interplanetary Camry. It's a sad, sad day on the AFT and Soccer Show. It's the last song by our Artist of the Month, Goldie Lucan Chain. I'm sure they'll be back for another stint. That was Fear of a Welsh Planet, introduced by Carol Robinson. Thought we'd dig that bumper out again. Good old GLC. You're a big fan. Didn't like last week's song, I know, but... Yeah, I, I don't think I could use the term big fan, but uh, 
Oh, you have lost some in, weight. In terms of <laughs> in terms of songs you've introduced me to over, you know, hanging out here, there's been worse. But yeah, the reason I played that on the AFT and soccer show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, was just to tie in with Carl Robinson, because Carl Robinson might get a few mentions in the coming weeks, and his squad as well. Because for the rest of the year, we are going to be doing a section to say goodbye to the 1910s, or the 2010s, I've gone way back in time, hello to the Roaring Twenties. The decade is ending Will there be a new prohibition in 2020s? Will there be another depression? You could look back at the last 10 years and say it has been a bit of a depression if you're a Whitecaps fan. But we are going to look over the next couple of weeks at the Whitecaps of the decade. We're going to pick our best starting 11 of Whitecaps players from the last 10 years. That's going to cover the last year in League 2, NESL, USL. and that, But that was... Anyone who remembers, that was a basically an audition year. Yes, there's not really going to be any players <laughs> from that. I'm just trying to set it up that we're going to kind of cover stuff like that. Well, that helps Tater, maybe. But... Well, he will get mentioned. But it will mostly be, of course, players from the, the MLS era. And we're going to want your help as well. We're going to kick things off tonight with picking our manager of the decade, our goalkeeper of the decade... And we'll chat about what formation we think that the team should possibly play as well. And then we'll we'll throw it open to you guys as well to see if you agree with our selections and also to get some suggestions and input into what we're going to be talking about next week. Now, you could look back at the last decade and be disappointed with what the Whitecaps produced. It was a decade that saw no league titles, just one solitary Voyagers Cup was won, Three Cascadia Cups were lifted, 2013, 2014 and 2016. And of course, let us never forget the Mickey Mouse Cup in 2012. <laughs> Surprised you're not wearing your ears right now. Ah, oh, that was a special day. Because the day that I got my ears was February 29th, where the park was open for that extra day because it was the, the extra day. Anyway... <laughs> There hasn't been any silverware disturbing the dust in the Whitecaps trophy cabinet since 2016. Jeff Mallett did a, a little joke about that in the Axel Schuster introduction. Three long years since any silverware was won by the Whitecaps, and the last two of those three years we haven't seen the playoffs either. This was a decade that promised so much. A new league, new opponents, new challenges, new hope to turn it into Star Wars just so that we get Steve back interested. <laughs> it delivered very, very little, though. How, how do you look back at it? I wouldn't say it's a complete disappointment, but the, the, I think you're looking at it through the you know like your rose-colored glasses of the last few years. Well, um, I'm looking I, at I don't it think success, and there wasn't really a lot of success. Yeah, but the, the if you judge it in the two halves, I think the first half was pretty good and then the second half yeah when it quickly derailed especially the last two years and i it depends what you come on guys the last two years is what you're looking at i know you guys are looking no at, no it's, no it's, not at all. genuinely uh, isn't i think me. you are actually. i just feel it's been a wasted opportunity if you no, they well they should have elevated that for what they had in 2016 into greater success yes. in the last three years i agree with that like they, they had but they had they were growing something in those first but we, Five, we, six we years. entered MLS as a club with a rich history yeah. and an academy that was like really 
viewed by other clubs in MLS. And they, and they were they up. were growing into something, but then they completely, I agree, they crapped the bed in the last yeah. three years. Well, and they, they I crapped think, the bed in 2011, and that got them off to a oh, bad start. They were an expansion team. Like then, how many teams are, were that great in expansion no, years? No, true. But then they built on it in 2012. 2013, they went backwards, and Robbo's years were kind of up and down, but we didn't see the progress, and a lot of that... We won't get into it all just now. A lot of it is obviously on ownership, not spending money, not competing, maybe not moving into the MLS 2.0, 3.0 mindset that other teams have done. And it's kind of left us behind. And for me, this is a decade that was a wasted opportunity. We're, this year, right now, we're sitting rock bottom of the West. And you look at where we were 10 years ago, coming out of the USL into this. And we're not really in that much of a better position. If there was promotion and relegation between the two leagues, we'd be back in the USL. Yeah, it's true. This year, I, I, I think, I think, uh, in 2011, if they didn't have protection. But uh, I think, uh, for me, I think that when I think about the, the decade for the Vancouver Whitecaps, I think it was a decade that started with great hope and great promise. And I think it's been a, you know, I think a, a kind of a. Started high and has been a, a slow, gradual decline that that yeah has kind of fallen off the cliff, especially in the last year or two. With Steve. a couple of peaks, but with a, yeah, with a couple of peaks, sure, a couple of bumps. If, along if the it had way. Some, a couple of peaks, then it definitely wasn't a slow, steady decline. There were a couple of peaks. It was up and down. You could say it's up and down decade. No, but don't say it weird roller. But I don't think those peaks were big enough, Steve, to, to for me to call it up and down. For me, the big problem is uh, uh, in. Up until 2014, I had heard things uh, from different people about how the how the how the club actually functioned behind the scenes, and until 2014, I didn't I didn't really give them a lot of credence. I thought, oh, those are one offs, or 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 you know, surely the you know the, the those who were making those decisions I was hearing about were actually acting on the 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 for the betterment of of the club as a whole. But since 2014, it's kind of been a constant. Uh, I've had first-hand experience with constant uh, interaction with how they function and how they treat people both within and without the club. So on a personal level, it's been a uh, disappointing. Michael asked me about my perception over the last decade. So this, I'm sure my my perception. So so that that has kind of, even though there's been some of those uh, up moments or those little blips, uh, you know, uh, that, that had not been positive, and then and then when you look at what's happened in the la- this last year, especially, you see some of those some of the yeah. brokenness within. It come definitely to- takes a lot of shine. Well, yeah, and it, of of looking back, totally. it, But I mean, I I genuinely am looking back across the ten years, and I think of that first kick day, March twenty eleven, just the excitement when we, we were in the pub, March nineteenth, yeah. It was just such a great day, the march to the match Mm -hmm. and everything, the build-up to it and the excitement of that first season. And yeah, even if it wasn't a great season, it's like you had your away trips that we'd done before to Portland, but now you were playing Seattle and it was an MLS. And I went down to to the game at Chivas and I went to RSL. I went to the first away game It was new experiences and it it was just... felt so good and you were moving from empire to bc place and you look at empire i loved empire yeah that was uh, for me that, for me that's a mistake that if they stayed uh, in empire that, i think they would have been better everything off. from i mean it, it wasn't a perfect venue no from a media point of view which i know most folk <laughs> listening to this aren't going to care the press box was cramped as hell and it was it was barely functional a lot of open space now in the media box. <laughs> yes that's very true 
Uh, you were quite a bit back from the pitch as well, behind the goal in the south side section. But the view to the mountains was wonderful. Yeah. The atmosphere. Well, you were actually in an act- the actual south side of the yeah, stadium. Yeah, because my ticket was in, in the front row of the south side. And just everything about it, from the ponchos and Terry Dunfield jumping into the crowd and that, that first... In, into John Carlo's arms. Yeah. I mean, all of that and what could have been if we'd built upon it. And then you look at teams like Portland that came in the same time at us. They've got an MLS Cup. You look at Seattle that came in a little bit before us. Got a couple of MLS Cups now. And yeah, these teams that have... I, I guess this is what I'm basing it on. I'm looking at our Cascadian rivals, not even TFC, because they had a, a good few years head start in MLS, but I'm looking at our Cascadian rivals, and Portland in particular, and what they've achieved compared Port- to what we've achieved. Portland's only achieved one MLS Cup on a, on a call that should never... They, they were gifted an MLS Cup. I'm I don't disagree and, with But you. I do agree with you that their regular seasons have been much better than Vancouver's. But they've also made two finals, too. It wasn't... Yeah, that's fine. And they've also brought in a lot of exciting No, I agree with that. No, they, they've exceeded what Vancouver has, for sure. Yeah, they've invested more and in their squad. Seattle, was, as painful as it is to say it, are... For me, one of the ideal MLS teams of the last decade. Of course, you celebrated got, with them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my my buddies down there. They showered you with beer. Harry Shep, and it's like getting my beer shower, and yeah, hugs all around. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it, I mean, the, the 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 picture is much grimmer when you start, or not grimmer, but it's a different kind of grim when you play the comparison game. Yeah, but I mean, there, there were highs. The yeah, Champions probably. League run to the semi final. Yeah. I I loved that. I mean, that was great. Finally, winning a Voyagers Cup. Yeah, you, I mean, you you really undershot that in the thing when you said only one Voyagers Cup. Listen, but compared to what they went through in the two thousands, getting that one <laughs> Voyagers Cup was yeah. huge. Yes, and we that was a celebrated. Night. I mean, that was a special day. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. And the, and the, you got to remember too, there was actually two Champions League uh, opportunities. There's two runs. Yeah. Two but runs. The, the one in particular where we made the semis. I mean, yeah. that was just the excitement and. Then you look at the playoffs and the disappointment of the Portland game and the Seattle game where it could have been so much more, could have been better. We could have been MLS champs one of those seasons if things had just gone a little bit differently well, in those I, games. I think it's, you could have, they could have gone further in those competitions. Yeah. <laughs> I but don't know about being I, MLS champs. As I always like to say, the Queen could be king if she had a pair of balls. But let's... Stop reminiscing about just aspects of the decade. Yeah, because it's, it's, some specifics. it's a new era, too. Yes. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next decade I know, is. I'm optimistic for the 2020s. But let's kick off our picking off of things of the decade with selecting our manager of the decade. There's four contenders. I'm not counting the interims <laughs> of Tommy Soane and Craig Dalrymple. Although Craig Dalrymple's win record is quite impressive compared to the others. What are you, uh, two wins in five games? Tater Torterson, Martin Rennie, Carl Robinson, Mark DeSantos. Now, Tater was in charge for the Whitecaps for three and a bit seasons in total, from 2008 to 2011. He delivered a, a USL championship in 2008, but this is all about what you've done for me lately, or in particular, what you've done for me this decade. With the Cascadia Cup in that year, it was a double that year, right? 2008? Yeah, my first year here watching the Whitecaps. Whitecaps won a championship. It was all downhill, downhill from there. Downhill from yeah. that, yeah. I think that's what I'm kind of doing it at. If you look at what he achieved in 2010 and 2011, 2010, 
He oversaw a Whitecaps team that finished second in the NASL Conference of League Two with a record of 10 wins, 15 draws, 5 defeats from their 30 games. They finished just two points back from Martin Rennie's Carolina Railhawks. They averaged just over a goal a game. They A 2-1 aggregate win over Portland in the playoffs. Great, a fantastic goal by Richie Mabulu. Oh, and we were dying. No, that was in the playoffs. That was in the playoffs? No, that oh, was, really that was regular season? No, but remember. you know who scored in the first minute of that game, or first two minutes of that game? Mm-hmm. A, ver- a very young Gershon Gofi. I just and, and there was a lot of smoke at, Mer- at Merlo Field. Oh, I, yeah. We lost that one 0 but that was just such a. But good we went through, winding yeah. up the the Portland fans. I mean, yeah, they was, were not happy that, that day. No, they weren't. <laughs> I think it's because we serenaded their players with na 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 <laughs> bye bye, and they were starting to lose it. Yeah, <laughs> and that was when uh, Maluda Clue. Oh yeah. Um, as the Portland players were going off, was mimicking the the chainsaw and going, bye bye, bye bye. I really wish I had that on video because that was one of the the absolute highlights. But that year finished, we had a semi final loss to the Puerto Island Puerto Rico Islanders. <laughs> that was bad. Puerto Island forever. That was that was a real letdown. after extra time. Yeah. That was went out at Swangard, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the faith was put in Tater to lead the Whitecats into MLS. He was named as head coach in September of 2010. Faith is a strong word for a one-year contract. Yeah, temporary faith. He lasted just 12 matches in charge. He was sacked on May 30th. He had one win and six draws from his 12 games, which when you look back, it isn't it's actually the worst No, cause, because he got uh, results in over 50% of his matches. And he drew the game... Before he yeah. got sacked yeah. as well, which was a bit strange. No, it, 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 I mean, it, it felt like he was set up to fail. And well, now, no, he, no, no, sorry. He did play. I know some people will hold his feet to the fire for some specific things, especially Omar Sagato over Darlington Nagby. Uh, but he, he was not really, he was set up to fail. Like, the, the, things, that, the things that Tommy Sohn did and, and how he spoke about certain things were not the way you support uh, no. your coach. And like Tommy Soane had said, it won't be too hard to turn this team around, and he found it was. Yeah. But the thing with Tater as well, though, is I don't know. Like, he had the experience playing for Estonia or managing Estonia and stuff like that. I, the club have now admitted that they should probably have given <laughs> him the full year. So that at least that, that's a good acknowledgement. Tommy Sohn took over for the rest of that 2011 campaign, which was the worst in Whitecaps MLS history. In which games he actually didn't pick the lineup. There were some games in there. He where actually didn't pick the lineup. Well, he let Colin Miller. Yeah. yeah. Not Colin Miller. Colin Miller was his assistant. Was it Colin? Colin, yeah, Colin, Colin Miller picked the, the I think yeah. Colin Miller picked the last game of the year, which was... Well, a win, I think. RSL win. Uh, no. There was a win against RSL. Yeah, that wasn't the last game of the year. They lost to... Col- no, no, the one they won was the win against Col- RSL. That was, But that was a makeup game on a Wednesday. I know, it? but that was the one that he picked the line. Oh, yeah, because that was the game uh, that was called off for the Man City yes, friendly. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Martin that, Rennie... That was the one he made the roster for. Martin Rennie was appointed August 9th, 2011 to take over in the off-season. And then Rennie spent two seasons in charge. 11 wins, 10 draws, 13 losses in 2012. But... The club made the playoffs for the first time, losing 2-1 to the Galaxy in the playoffs. 2013 saw no playoffs and a 13 wins, 9 draws, 12 loss record, missing the playoffs by three points. He was subsequently sacked at the end of that season. Reported first on AFTN. Yes, breaking the the news. I remember my phone and internet blowing up that day. The information I got given for that, I was led to believe that 
the the meeting with Rennie had happened quite a bit earlier in the afternoon. Not knowing the meeting with Rennie had pretty much just finished when I tweeted that out, and everyone's like, "How on earth did he?" Well, know? at least it was factual. Hmm. Cal Robinson got a message through on his phone, and someone that Steve knows uh, tells tells the story about he excused himself from wherever he was at because I think he got my tweet. <laughs> Rennie ended up finishing with a record, a, a winning record of thirty five percent, which, when you look at the rest, is not too far off the pace. Now, Rennie's assistant, Carl Robinson, was eventually appointed. He was in charge for five seasons, from 2014 to 18. He recorded an MLS regular season record of 64 wins, 42 draws, 59 defeats, and across the board, 78 wins, 50 draws, 71 defeats. He guided the Whitecaps to three playoff appearances, two Western Conference semi-finals, 2015 Canadian Championship, semi-final appearance in that Champions League that we talked about, and his overall win percentage in MLS alone was 38%. So a little bit more than Martin Rennie, but with a bigger kind of sample size to go with. And a bigger trophy case needed. Much bigger trophy case. And then MDS was the last man at the helm. Not a great first season, we've got to be honest. Bottom of the West, going out to Cavalry in the Voyagers Cup. Only eight wins, 10 draws, 16 defeats. He has a 23.5% win percentage right now. So if we're looking at the four of them, how do you rank the four of them over the decade? Who's fourth and who's first? Um, I'm just glad we agree that Tommy's on the bottom. Yeah, well, Tom, well Tommy's, Tommy's not, not included. I would say MDS fourth, only because it's one year. Uh, Tater, just on nostalgia, would be third. Martin Reddy second, and Carl Robinson first for me. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I, I'd gone back and forth whether to make Mark third and Tater fourth, but I think... With what he did in 2010 as well. I know we said we're not going to talk much about 2010, but, but he did get us to the playoffs. The, yeah, yeah, 2010 yeah. part of the thing. But he got us to the playoffs, which yeah. Mark obviously hasn't done, and he had a, a better winning percentage. So. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, Mark's had one year in a very difficult year. So oh, any, anyone who would rate him higher than the other three is is on your personal perception of the individuals, I guess, but or, or, or yeah, the potential that, for that the future. That was what I, I meant to actually mention. So I, I don't want us to base this on what players we like. So you can't just have like Gish and Kofi in, in your all-time white caps of the uh, decade. But you can. But you can if you can argue a case for Oh, it. and you yes. can. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be hearing that when we're doing the midfielders. <laughs> but so, Carl Robinson, white caps manager of the decade. If we look at the formation before we get into looking at the team, we could go four three three. We could go four two three one. Four four two. We could go absolutely this, rogue and three now, five two. But the thing is, if you name yeah, Carl Robinson exactly. as the as the manager of the year, you know you're going four two three one. But also, formations mm. don't mean that much. This is the starting yes, point. Yes, I know, and it also maybe depends on what players we want to argue are going to go in. But I think we're going to agree it's a flat back four. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is influential for next week. Yes. So we're just going to round off this part by picking our first player of the decade and we're going to look at the goalkeepers. Now, obviously, we've had a number of goalkeepers on the books, so we're not looking at all of them because a lot of them didn't make any impact. Brian Silvestri, remember him? Yeah, great kid. I was never very impressed with him as a keeper, though, I've got to say. He's really good at FIFA. He's he's got better as he's got older in the USL. He, He crushed me at FIFA. I'm narrowing down the goalkeeper list to Jay Nolly. Joe Cannon, Brad Knighton, David Oustead, Stefan Marinovic, Maxime Kripo. So six keepers, 
are I'm, regular starters. I'm going to eliminate two right off the bat. Uh, I'd say take off Brad Knighton and Jay Noli. And only because of... Um, I, yeah, I would say I say those two for sure. Although I, 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 I'd, I'd say Brad Knighton for sure. I'd say Brad um, Knighton. I would also possibly even take Joe Cannon out of there. I'd maybe take those first three out. Yeah, okay. So we're we're looking then at Eisted, Marinovic, and Kripal. I would take Marinovic out then too. Do you do you agree, Zach, or would you want to, to mean, make uh, a case uh, for uh, Nolly or Cannon or Knight as the number one? Well, it, it, even if we said like top three. I mean, it it has to. I mean, for me, it has to be David Osted number one. Like, I don't think there's any any option. So everyone fall, you know comes after that, and. See, the Maxime Crapeau thing is he only has one season, and the team in front of him was very poor, which but it was helped, a good season. Which helped make his stats so good. And it, what is it, Audi Index Keeper of yeah. the Year or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Was, I, but I the did thing Index is, Keeper of the Year, but doesn't even get a sniff of being MLS goalkeeper I, I of the totally year. understand Ousted as being the number one, but the thing is with Crapeau for me is some of the ma- saves you made this year. Yeah, sure, Ousted probably didn't have to make those saves because he had a better team in front of him. But I don't think he would have made those saves either. And the mis- some of the mistakes that Elstead yeah. made in his tenure, like, and I know goalkeepers make mistakes. Crippled, I, I can't recall a major mistake he made I, this I remember year. one mistake. It was a game at BC Place. I can't remember the game, but I know he should have done better with it. And he knows himself he should have yeah. done better with it. But that's the only one. But I also don't know if it was a deciding factor in the game. It probably yeah. wasn't. But... If we had a bigger sample size yeah. for Kripo, I would, I would argue that yeah, he definitely. I, I think he's the front runner for goalkeeper of the twenties. Yes, decade of the twenties. I, I would probably actually put him at number two from what we've seen from him. Yeah, I just think for so. the season that he's had. I think so, but that's also I think like recency bias. If that makes sense. Yeah, it could be. I mean. Jay Nolly did well. Joe Cannon did well. Brad Knight and I was never that high on his keeper. See, but, see Brad Knight, though, if you go back and you and you look at it, he was here for the Martin Rainey era. He had some significant contributions, including like I think even one assist in a game against Seattle. I think it was. I think yes. Um, but I I also remember the interview he did uh, with Wendy when she did her night cap oh. with a white cap, which was one of my favorite quotes of the decade. Where he described Barry Robson. As the angriest person he's, he's ever, ever met, met. Yeah. which is, I mean, not an unfair description of Bear of Bear Robson. Um, but I mean, the, the reason for me is it's Ousted is like he came mid twenty thirteen. He left at the end of the twenty seventeen season. He had back to back thirteen shutouts in twenty fourteen and you can get thirteen shutouts in so, here. Yeah, thirteen clean sheets. Forty three clean sheets in one hundred and forty two MLS matches. Which is pretty impressive. One every three matches, yeah. That's but that, good. I mean, folk go on about Cal Robinson's boring play and the defensiveness of his team. See, that might have helped Alstead too, yeah. saying that he he was playing in front of a better team. But that's the is thing, he though, actually the better keeper? But, but they weren't always great defensively. But the thing is, I think sometimes when they were good defensively, David still made some of those. He did make some of those. Where he only had like one big save to make in a game, and he yeah, made yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I, he's got to be number I, one. Too. I, I, no, yeah, I say give it to David. It's fine. I'm okay with David. I'm okay, I'm not going to fight. Just for, I can, his, for his sample size, I'm giving it to there's, David. There's but bigger Maxime. battles to fight in the future. Oh I think yes, so. <laughs> I can, the big big ones are going to be coming. I can up. live with Maxime as number two. Number three, you said who? I haven't said my thoughts oh. yet, but I would probably go. With Marinovic. I don't know oh, that. Really? I don't think so. 
I know. I'm like talking Ken. to him. So I'm, I said to you, don't base it on who you like and stuff. But he was only here year, year, one and a half seasons. Uh, yeah, I, I would go with Cannon on that one. Actually, Cannon was probably the better goalkeeper all round. I but, would go with but Cannon. Cannon got displaced in his second and year. Then, but then Nolly also had no, a good Cannon 2010. No, Cannon retired, essentially. So he never really got displaced. No, he didn't retire. Did he? No. Oh. He didn't? I thought he did. No, not during the season. Huh. No, he never retired. That was one of Let's the problems. Let's just do a top two. That's going to make it easier. But you got to have a third keeper. Well, we're, the whole thing is just we're naming one guy. So yeah, it we're, we're only having... We'll have a bench. Yeah. So there we go. We'll do, we'll do our top two. We'll have our bench and our, we'll have our team of the decade. A lot of respect to Joe Cannon. So our, our first player that is in the Whitecaps team of the decade is a player that's also eligible for the re-entry draft. <laughs> at, but it's not coming week. to Vancouver. I don't think it'll be coming here. Although Bill Hamid is up as well. Which we don't need a goalkeeper. Not but, coming to Vancouver. Whoa. But he might be on a highest ticket. That's why yeah, he will be on a Yeah, ticket. he will be. So David Eister is in. Let us know if you agree with him and Cal Robinson as getting in. Next week, we're going to look at the back four. So we're going to look at right backs, left backs, and centre backs. So send us your selections for that on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Hashtag uh, Whitecaps of the Decade. It's a big hashtag. Caps of the Decade. Caps of the Decade. Decade caps. You got to choose one. Caps of the deck. Make it short. Oh, yeah. You know, the short. kids like stuff short. The kids. Hashtag AIDS. What kids are listening to this? Lots of kids listen to this. Oh, sorry. I'm sure. That's why. This this episode's not explicit. It's Hashtag explicit. COD. Caps oh. of the decade. That would be COTD. Oh, damn it. Nobody includes D. COTD is better. Caps of it. decade. COD. Okay, hashtag COD. No. We'll maybe get some more Grimsby fans getting in touch with oh. us. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be back with some CPL chat after this. Hi, I'm Marcel De Jong, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. You have to excuse me, I'm not in my best I've been gone for a month I've been drunk since I left These so-called vacations will soon be my death I'm so sick from the drink I need home for a rest We arrived in December and London was cold We stayed in the bars along Charing Cross Road We never saw nothing but brass tops and no Kept the shine on the bar with the sleeves of our coats You'll have to excuse me, I'm not at my best I've been gone for a week, I've been drunk since I left And these so-called vacations will soon be my death I'm so sick from the drink, I need Welcome back. You're listening to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was Spirit of the West with a song called, Steve? Uh, a song was called Home for a Rest from their platinum album, uh, Save This House, for 1990. 1990 released. So would their hashtag on Twitter be S-O-T-W or yeah. just S-O-W? Would I it be hashtag sow? I'm not sure. Hmm. Because we've just spent the break arguing over what the hashtag should be for the white caps of the decade. Uh, arguing, engaging in some discussion. Wh- white caps of decade, wad. Please no. Oh, we're, we've decided we're going to go hashtag cod. 
caps of decade. And just just copy in the player at, for example, Camilo Sanvezo, hashtag COD. (laughs) Just get them thinking as to why is someone atting me and just saying COD. They'll think something's fishy. They could be right. But this week it'd be only goalkeepers. Yes. Or, or defenders. Well, well, we're looking for they, we're looking for a left back, right back, and oh, for defenders. next week you're talking about. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. but they can Sorry. talk about the keepers. Can it, does anyone know? Does Jonathan Leathers have a, a uh, Twitter account? Last I checked, no. Oh. Anyway, we we played that Spirit of the West song because it was very sad reasons. The lead singer of the band, John Mann, sadly passed away this week, aged just fifty-seven. Yeah, uh, uh, Spirit of the West, it's not a, a band that I was like one of my top playlists, but sometimes you hear it, especially on much music, um, when they actually played music. And, yeah, uh, they don't seem to do that, no, now, but I'm flicking through the channel. So, the, so you you see them, like, you see, like, because they had to play Canadian uh, artists too sometimes, and so they, this was one of the ones that they play. So it'll be interesting. It was a good band to listen to. What, Who what flicks through the channels? I flick through the channels all you the fl- time. You have a guide for this now. Oh, oh no, I still like to flick through the still, channels. It's called flicking. It's still called flicking through the channels. Yeah. I, I remember much music in those days. Yeah. yeah. But Electric Circus. I actually <laughs> yes. I met my wife through much music in a roundabout way. Because I was over in Toronto on vacation. And I was watching much music in my hotel room. And Our Lady Peace were on. It was New Year time, and it was the countdown of the songs of the year. And Superman's Dead and Clumsy were the two songs that they were playing. And I thought, oh, they're really good. So I went and bought their album. Then I got home and I joined the Our Lady Peace message board, Clumsy Congress. And on that message board, I started chatting to a 19-year-old <laughs> Canadian girl. Wait, how old are you again? 30. It's okay, it was the internet. Well, that's fine. There's no harm in that. Oh. It was only 11 years. Now, now look at us. Yeah. I shipped her over to Scotland. <laughs> Canadianbrides.com or whatever it was that we used. And it's all worked out well. Now I'm here talking about the Whitecaps and Canadian Premier League. Which, funnily enough, is what we're going to do in this part. This part is some CPL chat. Because the CPL Awards take place in Toronto on Tuesday night. And I thought, just for a little bit of fun... Let's look who the nominees are and see who we would pick. Now, obviously, the Golden Boot winner is a Golden Boot winner, so we don't have to pick that. So we're going to look at four categories. They've got a category for the best under-21 Canadian player. Now, I have to tip my hat to Pacific FC. They gave 10 under-21 players this year 13,532 minutes over the season. The league mandate was teams had to have at least three under-21 players getting at least a a combined total of 1,000 minutes. So Pacific blew that out the water. Valor and Halifax as well gave over 5,000 minutes to their under-21s. Who's the worst, Edmonton? I don't know. I'm probably going to guess Cavalry, but I didn't look to see that. But But they all made it. (laughs) The, The successful teams, you know, the championship teams that didn't finish in the top three. So the three nominees for the best under-21 Canadian player are York 9 left-back Dia Edain Abzi, Forge FC scorer and Golden Boot winner Tristan Borges, and Pacific FC's leading scorer, man we know very well, Terran Campbell. So before we talk about 
our choices or whatever. I think. Well, I think it's down to two. Yes. <laughs> but because I've never heard of Absium, to be honest. Do you? Uh, do you think they'll do a thing? I can see them doing one of two things here. Saying, I think I know what you're going to say. Borges was the best player. He deserves the awards. He yes. gets both of them. Or yep. will they say, oh, let's give him one award and not give him this other that's award? That's what I think they're going to what do. What do you think? You don't think that's right. Though. I don't think no, that's right. Gonna say that. For me, Borges should sweep the board. Yeah. And Patrick. Yeah. He should be the under 21 player if he is also voted the player of the year. But in fact, We'll come at the Player of the Year nominees just now because I'll tell you who they are. They're Dominique Malonga from Cavalry, Tristan Borges from Forge, and Kyle Boo Becker, also from Forge, who obviously can't win because of that disgraceful thing he did in the first game of the season the that elbow. I'll never forgive him for. The elbow? Yes. With the delayed suspension? Yes. Now, the thing is, is with this one is Borges actually might not win this because it might split the votes because there's two te- players from the same team. Um, on there, so it might did you get the vote for this? No, actually. Oh, we gotta fix that. Huh. I'm on their mailing list. I didn't get asked to vote. Maybe it's I don't know if it is media votes. Maybe but it's media one pro vote. F- for me, Borges should win that. But there's also like what they're calling the Golden Glove, which annoys me for another reason that we'll come to, which is the goalkeeper. So for me, they should see who won the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper then should be up for player of the year as well because they're all attacking players. Uh But I don't agree with that because I think if you've got a goalkeeper of the year, he should really be vying with the golden boot winner for player of the year. I mean, depending on... And any other standout guy, maybe a guy that's led in assists or... I think in theory, yeah. I think in theory, if they eliminated, like, let's say, Marco Carducci as an example, if they eliminated him from consideration for the, uh, mo- the most valuable player or whatever, uh, that would not, not be right. Um, and I, yeah, I think he actually is someone who should, g- yeah. could, well, could well, at the, least worth a uh, The Golden Glove nominees, goalkeeper of the year, because Golden Glove is usually the goalkeeper that's kept the most clean sheets gets the Golden Glove. It's like the Golden Boot. But the goalkeeper of the year, their nominees are Marco Carducci from Calgary, Mr. Eyebrows, uh, Nathan Ingham from York 9, I don't understand how folk have not gone on more about his eyebrows. It's all I can see when I can look at his face. And Connor James from FC Edmonton. Yeah, this is a, it is easy. This, this is not even yeah. a contest. Marco, Marco all by, the way for that one. How is Nathan Ingham on there when he gets beat like from half, like on a regular basis? His first half of this season was strong. It was. Yeah. But I mean, Marco gets a call up to the penalties. Canadian national team and all that kind of stuff. It's been a, a standout year for Marco. Fall and spring championships obviously didn't win the the big thing, but for me, Marco's definitely the goalkeeper of the year, and I would give Borges the under twenty one, and I would give Borges the player of the year. But I feel Marco should be in that player of the year. Mm. I think talk I think, as well. I think that's fair. Is, was he more valuable than Malonga? I think he was. I think, you, I think he was. But but then, I, that's my bias. But, but then I guess you could then argue Cavalry were scoring so many goals, and Malonga was good, especially in the second half of the season. Yeah. There's an argument to be had, I think, both Kyle ways. Becker, I find a little bit of a surprising one to be up as player of the year. Maybe it's he, part of his contract that he needs to be. <laughs> he's the Forge captain. He was a, a real lead, He was a real leader for them. And he scored yeah. some crucial goals, some, some goals. Although, to be honest, I am then struggling as who else I would pick to, to put in that mix as well. But Other than Carducci. Because, I mean, you, you look at teams like Valor and Edmonton and Pacific and Halifax, and there's no one that you're going to pick from those squads, I don't think. Well, I think 
Campbell is uh, further down that list, maybe top five or top ten. Hmm. Top ten for sure, I'd, I'd say. The coach of the year, which is the last of the four that we'll look at, the three nominees for that, Jim Brennan from York 9, which I, I feel they just had to get a third person at let's that point. Oh, well, I think they were like, let's, yeah, let's get one of the owners in there. Come on. Let's... Tommy Wilden Jr., Cavalry FC, and Bobby Smyrniotis from Forge FC. This is another one where it's like, how are they going to vote on this? Because to me, it's, uh, to me, it has to be Tommy. For me as well. It has to be Tommy. He's won the spring championship. He's won the fall. Cavalry knocked the white caps out yeah. of the Voyager's Cup. It was a perfect and season. And he knocked out Bobby in, last in the Voyager's games. Cup. Yes. Yeah. It was basically a perfect season just apart from the end. And yes, Forge won the championship. Forge had their run in the CPL. Uh, the, 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 the CCL. Oh, yeah. Well, well it's not uh, even the CCL. CCL. The Nations League or what? In uh, international competition. Yes, let's go with that. And they did, they did fairly well in that. But... It's Tommy all the way for me. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what they come out. But, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned about the, the owners as as well. It, it's It's been some good owners, I think, that they've got on board for this first season. All seven of them seem really passionate. All seven clubs seem really passionate with their ownership group about the game and growing the game. And, I mean, you've seen Rob Friend's been very open and done a lot of media. And Bob Young... Not a good day for Bob Young. From a Ticats point of view, they lost in the Grey Cup. No, to, dub, to no double for them. The but, Grey Cup was on today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I missed it. I only checked the score just before the show, so I knew what the, what the result was for the segment. I like the CFL. I've, like, I've got nothing against the CFL at all. I used to have season tickets for the Lions when I first moved here. I'm not a big fan of it. But, yeah, it's... It, it, the quality level seems to have dipped... For me in recent seasons. But in, the, anyway. in the CFL? Yeah. Oh. But anyway, talking about the owners, Bob Young has been a great owner. He's been a very enthusiastic owner. And just before the first leg of the championship game in Hamilton, Bob Young spoke to uh, a number of media. And we're going to bring you that now. So... My role here is I'm just Forge's biggest fan. I know that, well, I'm a soccer fan, obviously, so I think, like the rest of the fans, that I know more than Bobby and Costa do about running a soccer team. But the reality is I don't know a fraction of what they do, and the success of the Forge is Bobby and Costa's success, and, and obviously the team's success. Um, so, yeah, it gives us great pleasure to be uh, this good in our first year. Uh, the, the interesting one is how much better we can be next year and the year after that. This has been good entertainment value. I know soccer is a very different culture from CFL football, but uh, it's all of its own. Uh, it's a very unique culture to the sport. Have you enjoyed it this year? Uh, yes, and I and everyone else I know of who know anything about soccer have been surprised by the quality of the game. Not just Hamilton Forge, but you know, Wanderers and, and uh, York Nine and, and the rest of them. Uh, we've just, all of these teams have been able to play at a much higher level than any of us expected to play. And the MLS teams uh, recognized that uh, from the games they had to play against us. How have you seen, uh, how have you seen this project sort of grow over this calendar year? And, and I 
get the sense you're already excited for a year or two, even though we're just wrapping up here? That, that's my failing as a personality type. Uh, I'm actually a very bad manager because I don't really care about this year. I only ever care about five years from now. Where could we be, not where are we? So I have to find good managers, uh, Bobby and Costa, who actually can run a good program this year, because that's not what I, you know, where, where my interest is. But uh, yeah, we're just thrilled. Uh, the, the reception across the country of, of this, uh, I think when we kicked it off back in, over a year ago, we are uh, Anyways, and, and one of our, our themes was just to thank the Canadian soccer community, the fans across the country, the, the volunteers across the country, all the, the amateur clubs, because it's that community of soccer fans that has allowed this to happen, and, and we're just grateful. They've embraced us, and, and you, you'll see the result here today in terms of, of a big crowd of paying spectators who value the product that... that these guys have been able to put out but I hate referring to our, our sport that way it's just great entertainment it's, it's why we come to the games is we're not here to buy a product we're here to be entertained and I suspect we'll be thoroughly entertained today you speak about looking forward, but obviously you've played as big a role in anyone of launching this league. On, on a day like today, do you, do you take maybe just a moment to reflect emotionally on, on what you guys have built here? Emotionally? Uh, so I'm a business guy first, and as a business guy, oddly enough, I don't get very emotional. I'm as emotional a human being as anyone. So I'll be quite emotional, sorry, about the result of the game as the game goes on. I'm, I'm really begrudging having to talk to you guys because I'd be rather watching the Ticat game against the Alouettes right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it always gives you great pleasure for your colleagues. I mean, guys like Roy here, who have put his heart and soul into this thing for now a year and a half. If we weren't being successful, it's not about you know, me or the few dollars I might have contributed. It, it's about the year and a half of Roy's life and all of Roy's colleagues uh, who have invested their time and their energy and their passion into the project. And to see the project go well, it gives me great, what, satisfaction, great pleasure, great, yeah, pleasure, I think, is the right word. Bob, you just mentioned five years down the line. That's kind of where your mentality is. Um, when the season started, what were your expectations for five years down the line, and how have they changed now that you're in a final and you've seen the growth of this, uh, this club in this league? Okay, so when we started off, we were having these negotiations with the Canadian Soccer Association. Victor Montagliani was, was uh, still the chairman at the time. Uh, and our goal was to improve Canada's, uh, the partnership, was if we could help the Canadian Soccer Association build their business and build the economy of soccer in this country, we would help Canada move from whatever we were at the time, 110th in the world, to being something competitive, pick a number, uh, 30, 40, 50th in the world, so that we would have a reasonable chance of qualifying for the World Cup every four years. Uh, so that's where we were when we started. Okay, so now with a little bit of success, when people say, so what's your goal? Are you trying to become 40th best in the world? Go to hell with that. We're trying to win the World Cup now. Of course, that's a 10-year project before Canada, because the kids who are going to help us win the World Cup 
are certainly not playing professionally. They're probably in, in grade eight. They need to learn a passion for the game. They need to learn the instincts of, of how you play soccer. They need coaches who can help them develop. And that's our contribution to the, the economy of soccer in this country. If, if, the whole, if you add all the soccer players and all the fees and all the jersey sales together, even with the MLS guys, it was a, an industry that would have been worth $500 million 12 months ago. It's easily worth a billion dollars today. And what will it be worth? Well, in order for Canada to win regularly, we've got to, we need a soccer economy the size of Spain or France or England. And there's no reason we can't get there. When you look back at uh, this year, five years from now, what are some of the moments that are going to sort of stand out for you? Of course, winning the championship will be the big moment, so I'm looking forward to that one next Saturday in Calgary. Uh, what are the other ones? Uh, probably the biggest ones, because I'm a business guy. You know, it, it's the old Chinese expression about, I don't know if it's Chinese, someone's old expression about, to a man with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Okay, being a business guy, in my world, everything I'm trying to do, I see in a business context. Okay, so my biggest, uh, uh, what, achievements, and they aren't mine, the, the biggest achievements the league has had are really Scott Mitchell and his business team's group of uh, Macron, our kit supplier, our um, uh, Volkswagen, uh, our major partnership and our, our emblem supplier or partner, uh, and then uh, MediaPro out of Spain, uh, the Soccer One guys. Uh, having those big global corporations get behind this project is what has taken the project from a really good idea into a viable business. So Bob Young there talking to some of the media before the Canadian Championship game a couple of weeks ago. Thanks to AFTN's man on the ground in Hamilton, John Pickett, for getting that and sending it to us. Hopefully you could pick all this stuff out. And it's hard not to love the enthusiasm of Young. And he's a straight shooter and he's talking there. It's like, I'd rather be watching the, the Ticats on TV than talking to you media guys. And he just sees himself as a fan. He sees himself as Hamilton's biggest fan more than the owner, and his enthusiasm is infectious. He clearly loves the game. He wants to grow it here. A little bit pie in the sky, he was talking there about, he thinks when the league's set up, it was to get Canada to a World Cup. But now that the league is set up, he says it should be for Canada to win the World Cup within the next 10 years. Yeah, that's not... little bit far-fetched. Not sure what medication he was on that day. Well, he's, he's had a few... He's not, a chance for Chicago Maybe had a little bit of the bubble before talking He's not really the... a football person. No. It's a better chance of Chicago winning the World Cup than, <laughs> than Canada. I'd put my money in that if I did. I'm still waiting for that to come in. But can I ask you a question quickly about the awards? Because I'm yeah. confused. Why is there not a defender? Yeah, I was going to say... Oh, good point. And, and I, I was looking at it on the on the website, and they said um, they did have an article where they debated the hypothetical defender of the year. That's stupid. So there's no actual. <laughs> they should award. have a defensive outfield player of the year. Like that yeah. is hmm. short sighted. Although we don't have our AFTN defender of the year award. We don't. No. Ever. No. Never have. Well. Yeah, but we're only picking from one team, whereas they're picking from a whole league. That's true. They should have more options. 
And a lot of our years, they weren't really some good defenders. <laughs> and the years where they were good, they got in other <laughs> yes. Well, you have tackle of the years. Like, you oh, have some yeah. other fun stuff. Yeah. That, the, that the, connects to the, the defensive side of the game. The tackle of the year award. Uh, but, but Bob Young, he does clearly love the game. And, I mean, he's talking about growing it on an international level. We just need to try and qualify for a World Cup that we're not hosting first before yeah. getting a little bit too carried away. Which is like but the league certainly will help develop totally. Canada internationally. Yeah, sorry, when I said he's not a football person, I didn't mean that in a disparaging or, or mean way because I think his, the enthusiasm and the commitment and the ambition that he and Scott Mitchell in Hamilton in particular have shown uh, have made this have uh, played a significant role in making this whole league yeah. ha- happen. So, in a number of ways, I whether you f- love them or you don't, yeah. Like, like, I, I know Forge got some, some favorable good. treatment. Which what? I'm still not a fan of. But for what they've done to help get this league up and running, in a number of ways, it was kind of nice that Forge did win the the championship. I still wish it had been Tommy and Cavalry and the guys that we know through there. But, I mean, they did well. If we are talking, though, about Canada, we also have to sadly bring you the news that El Salvador won again during the week, 2-0 over Dominican Republic. It was a League of Nations game? Yep. So they're now into the final four of the Pool B, so they're going to get more points then as well. They're basically through. And the the, the U.S. got past Panama, right? Yes. No, no, Cuba. Oh, Cuba, sorry. Panama's dropping way down. They're like ninth or tenth now in the the rankings. Ramon's had his problems. But, I mean, El Salvador, I couldn't find it, but I think they've extended the lead to something like 16 or 18 points over that, I don't think it's now. 16 but it uh, I think I think it was it was, 14. It was double figures it's that's 14 like, that's like two wins against France and Paris yeah right? so but, but and the thing kiss is goodbye to the Hicks. yeah and that's fine the the at this point now they have to wrap up to the, what they, they have to do and that's win that uh secondary tournament yeah. and then get to face whoever the fourth place team is and in a number of ways if they can get to that, it's a better chance for them to make the hex yeah. than finishing the top three. And maybe this way they can show the, how stupid this thing is because when El Salvador gets pummeled in every game they play, or even when they're hosting at home, it'll yeah. show that maybe this wasn't the best solution in how they pick the six teams or I, how they do this thing. I was going to say, I really hope they change it for the next one, but of course we're hosting the yeah, next one, so it, it doesn't really matter too but, much. But is our spot confirmed? Well, yes. no. Yeah. Well, no, it Come isn't, on. but it should be. If it's 48 teams, you have to think. 48,000 teams. Scotland might have a chance. Although I think, I think 148 we might I think that's the World Scotland Cup Chicago Fire. Mm. Other CPL news, just to round this section off. Jeff Paulus was named interim GM of FC Edmonton after their man headed off to Pastors New. Which is good because I was not a big fan of J-Ball. Uh, he was a very divisive character. in the. I don't know much about him, I have to, to Well, say. when you talk to people who worked with him, worked for him, the supporters who had to connect with him. Uh, uh, there was, I mean, he did, he, he did some good things. Don't be wrong. But I think I, 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 there's two sides of it. One is I think he, he, he was maybe not the easiest to work with or work for. Uh, and he didn't, I mean, they still had huge struggles in, in the CPL era when it comes to things like attendance. Um, I think on hit for him, I think he would say, I am dealing with some of, if not the most limited resources in the league when it comes mm. to dealing with Tom Tom Fath, who has been great for football in general, but uh, has maybe not opened up the... the yeah, the, the purse strings. The, yeah, in certain areas. I mean, I, I 
have a lot of time for Jeff Paulus. And oh, yeah. I, I hope to get him in the show in the next couple of weeks when we're doing all our, our chats for the teams because we've, we've done a lot of the teams so far. We've done Valor, we've done Pacific Force tonight and I, I hope to get Jeff on the phone so we can chat about Edmonton's season and, and beyond. Pacific FC, still no word or even rumours as to who their new coach might well, be. Merriman's been acting like the guy. Like, when you listen to people, Merriman's the guy that's been doing a yeah. lot of stuff, and it's like right now, but I sp- spoke to James after Michael had gone and stuff, he didn't know what lay in store for his future, because a new coach could come in and say, look, I'm wanting my own coaching team. Yeah. I think James will be there, whoever comes in. Yeah. I think that will be part of the it's thing. It's like, yeah, yeah he's he knows the, the guys. But James is the one that's making a lot of the decisions, and I'm sure with Rob as well. Well, well like when you go back to the was a week ago or so ago, or whatever, for the week and a half ago for the draft, like everyone's talking, and the way they talk is like he is the coach. Which, I mean, I guess I, there's no one else there. Y- so. You know what? I there's, there's worse options out there. It's like yeah. I know they maybe want someone with a bit more experience. James knows these players so well from his time in the Whitecaps Academy. He's so passionate for the game as well. But if he were to be the man for next year, be the coach for next year, be the person in that role, it will be interesting to see because it's one thing being an assistant coach where you have a little bit more of a relational... Yeah, well, yeah. You you can look at Rob as that example because he was the player's coach when he was an assistant. And then you have to have a different relationship when you're the head coach. So... That that would be interesting to see if that if it plays out that way, but I I don't think it probably will be James Merriman. But the longer it goes on, they need to get an appointment. I know it's not like super rushed, but decisions do start need to to get made and players signed and totally. January windows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the sooner the better. But that is it for our CPL chat. We've got one more section to come. It'll be wavelength and BC Soccer Web headlines, and we'll bring you that after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Well, we're good old boys. We come from the North Shore. Drinkers and carousers, the likes you've never seen on this night by God. shores of Ambleside We were sitting there quite peacefully with the rising of the tide When an idea it came to mind for the usher in the fall And we all agreed next Friday night we'd go out on the crawl And we're good old boys We come from the North Shore They're rinkers and carousers and like you've never seen on this night Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. Another song there from Spirit of the West. I've got to say, I really like those two songs. I didn't know, I knew the name. Yeah. I don't think I've heard any Spirit of the West songs from the two that you've played tonight. I think I'll check that out. Yeah, the, this one was called The Crawl. Uh, it, it was released in the mid-80s. If I, I can't remember the album it was released from. Uh, it was basically a song about them doing a pub crawl. Uh, through North Vancouver 
uh, all the way into Vancouver and ah. stuff like that. So it was all over the place. So yeah, that was uh, that's why they mentioned Ambleside there. It was Ambleside so they're a Vancouver band. Yes, I didn't didn't well, know that. Spirit either. of the West. Ah, well, the West is a big place. Yeah, but they're Canadian. That's where we're playing. Hmm. I mean, a song about alcohol kind of ties in nicely, really, with the theme of our wavelength song for this week. People will know that our our month of November wasn't Football Violence Awareness Month. We just I want to make that every month, but most of the songs I can play have a lot of swearing in it. So we'll keep that for February. But November's wavelength theme was songs about specific footballers. And tonight's song, we're going back to 1970. And a song about the best Irish footballer of the time. Literally. Yes. A guy that was maybe known more for his off-field antics in later years, and he did like a drink, ended up dying due to all the, the alcohol abuse over the years. Of course, I am talking about the one, the only, one of the best entertainers in the world of football, George Best. Tomorrow, November 25th, marks the 14th anniversary of Best's death. And today's song it was the title track of a BBC documentary from 1970 on George Best. It's from a guy called Don Farden. This is Belfast Boy. When I saw you, you looked like a diamond As you played in the dust and the grime Just a boy from the country of Ireland And I knew I could make you shine Cause you move like a downtown dancer With your hair hung down like a mane And your feet playing tricks like a juggler And you weave to the sound of your name Georgie, Georgie They call you the Belfast boy Georgie, Georgie They call you the Belfast boy They say Georgie, Georgie Keep your feet on the ground Georgie, Georgie When you listen to the sound Georgie, Georgie Put a light on your name You won't have long in the limelight No, you won't have many days When you live and you play for United With your life and your blood and your soul You run and you kick and you fight it And you learn every way to the goal Georgie, Georgie They call you the Belfast boy Georgie, Georgie They call you the Belfast joy They say Georgie, Georgie Keep your feet on the ground Georgie, Georgie When you listen to the sound Don Farden there with Belfast Boy. And I was going back and forth whether to play that version or there was a re-recorded version in 2014 for charity that's about twice the length, but it's got like snippets from the games and commentary mixed in with it as well. But the original's really good. It doesn't it had a 
way later vibe, I felt, than 1970s, but that was from 1970. George Best was obviously best known for his exploits on the pitch with Man United. He scored 137 goals and 361 appearances. Internationally, played with Northern Ireland. Never played at a World Cup, though. Northern Ireland had never qualified. Off the pitch, he he was known for his style. He was often referred to as like the fifth Beatle in the in the 60s, the way that he got mobbed by all the young girls. His drinking antics and his bedding of beautiful women as well were always in the headlines. He did play over here in North America in the NASL, so he played in Vancouver. Uh, he played with early Aztecs, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, San Jose Earthquakes. Played in Vancouver as an away player. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, did, they, did they advertise his coming? Uh, probably. Probably had videos of his, of his goal-scoring exploits. On YouTube. Yeah. And... Steve was just telling me during that that ESPN did a 30 for 30 two-hour show on him as well this summer. It was this summer or last year? Some, 2018, 2019. But he was such a great player. I've got his autograph because in his later years he went to play for Hibs in Scotland. And somebody that my mum worked with, his son played for Hibs and got me George Bass autographs. So I still have that cherished position. But that was Wavelength for this month. Next month, we might have a new theme. We might just be playing random songs. Who knows? But now, it's time for BC Soccer Web Headlines. (laughs) BC Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com. Your one-stop site for local, national and international news, stories, articles, features, everything you could want from the world of football. Make it part of your daily routine, morning, noon and night. Check out bcsoccerweb.com. What has been catching your eye in the site this week, Steve? Um, a couple things. Uh, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping from last week. We mentioned how uh, Houston um, acquired... Um, what's his name? I'm blanking on Romel the Kyoto? No, no. no. How, oh, no they, they got rid of Romel Kyoto. Uh, uh, Quintero. They, yeah. they oh, yeah, Darwin Quintero. Quintero. So, but then they... Uh, and we were wondering who is going to be shipped out, and they shipped out uh, Honduran... Romeo Quieto, as you mentioned. Right. Um, and Manotis is also eyeing up a, a yeah. move to Europe. Yeah. Um, and they, so they shipped him off to the Impact for uh, Vic, uh, Victor Cabrera, Cabrera and 100000 in allocation money. So there's a couple, a couple of things about this. Is There's this, there's uh, wonderment over if uh, all of his salary will be on Montreal's books for this year or not or how that's going to kind of play out. And and how what's the difference between him and Cabrera with actual difference in gam and time or yeah. blah blah all that kind of stuff. The other thing is he has in this last year, my understanding is had some how shall we say off the field uh, concerns. If you were Escapades. Escapades. if you were to be his employers, there's some things that might concern you. I, I don't know how well, those only are. if you do a proper background check. I mean, not every <laughs> club does that. <laughs> well, I think I think actually what I heard was some of these things were directly asked in the press conference when it was announced oh. he was coming in. They're like, "Did you look into this?" And they're like, y- "Yes, but we believe in second chances." Oh, I need to watch that press conference. That's intriguing. Yeah, yeah there was apparently issues here and back home as well in Honduras. I think. I maybe? think so. Yeah. Um, so it's been confirmed MLS will take on Liga MX uh, 2020 MLS All-Star Cup in LA. Uh, it'll be on J- July 29th at Bonk of California Stadium in Los Angeles. Like I said, the bonk. Bonk. Um, bonk. And um, MLS uh, will be coached by uh, Bob Bradley himself. Oh. Because of the host city? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, is it really called All-Star Cup? I have no idea. That, oh. that I, don't, I didn't see anything mentioned. Okay, I thought you said All-Star Cup. No. It's... All-Star game, I think I said. Okay. 
I, I talked about this last week. I, I like it. I think it's a great idea. This is something that would get me excited in the All-Star game because it's an interleague thing. That was something that was very big in like the 40s, 50s, over in the UK. You had Scottish League v English League, and it drew, drew huge crowds. I agree that this will, going to this format will be uh, a new interesting wrinkle. Like it, I think it'll, it, it'll get more football people involved. I think you'll lose some of those people like, oh, a big team's coming. Mm. But then it will also cost the league a lot less to, to, to run. Yeah, yes. Uh, the other thing is, would you not still want your players to avoid this match? Because this could be a kick. Like this could be a kick fest. Isn't I it? would possibly even more. Uh, I would also like it to be played at a weekend with no other games that weekend, mm. so that teams have at least a full week. Then and people who want to go to a good theater, easier yeah. to go. I want to get down to the bunk. The venue as well, though. I mean, it's only like twenty-two thousand capacity, yeah. so it's. It would be nice to have the first one in a in a bigger venue. I think. Well, maybe they're trying it out. Well, but I mean, it's so close to the to 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 Mexico that. And remember, as Don Garber's told us this year and last year, Vancouver are entitled to an All Star game just whenever they decide they want to. have Oh, it. is that where the entitlement comes from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Well, we talked about last week uh, how Axel Schuster was the first sporting director for Vancouver eight years into their MLS. Uh, you know time. Austin FC has hired their first uh, sporting director before they even joined the league. Um, it's Claudio Reyna. Mm. Um, we'll be joining the team um, from New York City FC to be their sporting director, like I said. It's the second time expansion club they have he's worked for as he joined uh, New York City FC back in 2013 as their first director of soccer operations. He used to play for Glasgow Rangers. I remember watching him back in the day on TV. This season, uh, or this season, this off season, I think we need to spend a section talking about Austin. I'll pitch something to you later. Okay, I'd be interested in that. I've got a few book out for few whole ideas. Uh, two segments, possibly. Yeah. Um. Uh. So last week we talked a lot about the Spanish uh, stories in um in the news uh, in the headlines. This week is going to be slow Scotland. It's the next two Yay. ones. Um, Atlanta United ownership has invested in Aberdeen FC. They're taking a minority stake in Aberdeen and will own less than 10% of the club. Um, it'll have no operational involvement or day-to-day oversight responsibilities. But their president, Darren Eels, will join their board as part of the deal. The investment is of £2 million, um, a part of a £5 million package led by software entrepreneur David, Dave, McCor- Dave Cormack, a native of Aberdeen and a resident of Atlanta. Um, he will also become the club's first chairman at their annual general meeting in December 16th. The, there has been kind of connections between the two clubs before. There's a contest in Aberdeen to send winners to an Atlanta United match. And John Gallagher, a United player, was loaned out to Aberdeen this past summer. I'm Why still still holding out my hopes for the, the East Fife and Cooper Whitecaps connections. If Jeff Mallet is listening to this, Happy for you to buy a share in his five. How do you feel about this? It's strange that he's been made chairman. Yeah. I mean, the chairman was stepping down and Aberdeen are looking to get a new stadium and there's some big things ahead. The fact he's been made chairman, but they're owning like 10% off the thing, it's a little bit strange. It's a good cash incentive and injection into the club for for Aberdeen, but I just find that a little weird. So does that mean that Aberdeen is only worth like 20 million? That doesn't seem right. I guess that's what they're saying, yeah. That's that's that, that seemed low to me, mm. especially for like a like a fairly uh, historic uh, yeah, traditional I mean, it's club. Less than ten percent, so it could be anywhere okay. between twenty and thirty. 
But that seems crazy low for the valuation of a football yeah. club that owns a, they own their ground. Yep. The what's it called? The Pitaudry. T- yeah, Pitaudry. And they're going to be moving to a new one. I think they finally got permission for it. They've been looking to move for years. That's one of the few grounds in Scotland I've never been to because these five never played Aberdeen until after I left, and then we drew them like three times in the cup. Yeah. It, it, it feels like a, I mean it's not quite multi-club ownership but it, it does I mean yeah it feels, it's just a little feels odd awkward. it could open up some interesting connections though but you could have some young Aberdeen players end up coming to MLS or Atlanta guys going to get some some time over there or loan spells or who knows what yeah I guess I guess it's just not a very uh, sexy <laughs> connection right I, no I mean if I had the money I would invest in East Fife. Yeah. Right. Especially if I won the lottery. And that's cool. Takes us to our next story. Uh, good segue there. Um, so, lottery winner completes uh, the takeover of a Partick Thistle. Um, Colin Weir, uh, he's completed his takeover of the Scottish Championship side and said he intends to hand over the ownership to supporters by 2020. He brought he bought a majority stake uh, shareholding and a holding in land at the Fairhill Stadium where the team plays and will give the land back to the club. The 71-year-old will also give his 55% shareholding to a fan group that is in development and will take, uh, oh, with the free transfer of shares taking place no later than March 30th of 2020. What, uh, well, how much did he put in? Did it say how much it cost? Well, he owns 55% of it. No, but did it say what it cost? No, okay. it never mentioned like the, the amount, but uh, I know he, if I remember from the article, he won about 168 million uh, euros. East Fife were valued at just over a million when there was a takeover uh, going through. So, so this is Glasgow's third club. Yep, third club, yeah. um, struggling just now in the championship. Who plays for Partick Thistle? Barry? Two former White Caps. Barry? Nope. Kenny Miller. Yep. Kenny Miller's there now, yeah. Kenny Miller and... Isn't he the coach? Oh, coach? oh, oh, I know, Fraser. Is it Fraser? Dario Zanatta. Oh, He's with Party Thistle now. Is he on loan or is he? No, he's signed. Oh. Are they playing yeah. up top? Together? Hearts let him go. Yeah. Wow, what a I, dynamic! I know. They are down the bottom of the championship. They've been really struggling. They could get relegated in these five. Is he player coach? Them. Is Kenny? I don't think he is because they sacked their coach and they were looking for a new one. But it's an interesting investment. I've always said if I won the lottery, I would buy East Fife. It's like it's one no of those brainer for a million. About. Yeah. Um, I gotta ask my buddy Sean about this. He's a Partick Thistle supporter. I, I've got two funny. I'm putting inverted commas around it because folk might not care. Or interesting stories about Partick Thistle. One, I was at a supporters club federation meeting at their ground at Fir Hill uh, back in the day, and we were getting a talk by a high-ranking police chief about policing in Scottish football. And while he was giving the talk, the guy that drove me through his car got nicked outside the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and the other fun story which I think I've told this before is we were going to an away game in Stranraer which from East Fife to Stranraer is about 5 hour trip because it's like coast to coast we were at Kilmarnock so we were about 3 and a bit hours into our journey when the game got called off so we thought well we're out and about let's go to a football match we saw what was close it was Partick Thistle Wraith Rovers oh, our rivals nice. so we all hid our scarves we went in the Partick Thistle end. We stood by the segregation fence. Ten minutes into the game, we were singing Partick Thistle songs and stuff, and the game had started, and it went quiet. And then we all got our scarves out, and we started singing East Fife songs. 
the Thistle fans wanted to beat us up. The Wraith Rovers fans wanted to beat us up. We got a police escort to behind one of the goals and we had police all around us for the rest of the game who then also made us leave before the end back to our bus for causing a disturbance. Away days are great. Yes. Causing a disturbance. So, did we learn much from tonight's show? I learned what a hooli you are. Yeah. I learned that you are a big supporter of the word the. Yeah. Up the the. It really annoys me if you don't put the. the. I still think it should be COTD, but we'll go with COD. We'll go with COD. COD will get the humor you guys are looking for, but COTD would be better. I'm also a big fan of the Twitter. (laughs) And I think, I don't know what's jogged my memory. But I think I've remembered now to ask. <laughs> Basically, Steve typed Twitter in big capital letters after me missing it in last week's show, and then he just broke the computer. But just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. For me, it's at Zachary AM. I'm on Twatface at AFTN Canada, and on Instagram at AFTN Soccer, and YouTube. At AFT in Canada as well. So thank you for listening to our nonsense for another week. We'll be back next week, possibly at the earlier time of 9pm. It's like 95% certain that we're going to be on at 9pm next week. Podcast will be Monday as always. Thanks for listening. Take care. And mourn whoever you want. The. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm.